Sometimes you don't feel very loved, even though you know God does because love is more than a feeling. It is an act of the will. And still, other times, you don't feel very loving. The ups and downs of emotions, an ocean of feelings. Again, what is a Christian to do? Through a mind where Christ thinks, his spirit does speak. The Greek word for love you need indeed. Agape love is power-filled, Christ-spilled, the most sacrificial type of love. He gave his life. It is finished. He said and shed blood for you and for me. Sadly, the world confuses love with lust. Set aside your own desires, fires of lust. Just confess and repent. Present yourself and God will forgive. God so loved. He didn't take, no, he gave and will continue to do so eternally for humanity, giving love abundantly and unconditionally. The question is, are you ready to receive it? God, I thank you for a love that is truly unquestionable. Father, I thank you for proof of that being the person of Jesus Christ sacrificed on our behalf. Father, I thank you, Lord, that no matter what brought, brings somebody to view this online, no matter what brings somebody into this room, you are present, you are real, you meet us, you want us, you're not surprised by last night, you're not surprised by this morning. You speak. In your name, amen. I, uh, we started on, uh, on Wednesday, uh, Well Youth again. We had a, a youth starting point, which was awesome. We had about uh, 14 or 15 people in the room. It was a great kickoff. And uh, I have to be honest, though, I was a ball of anxiety all Wednesday. I used to be in the youth ministry game uh, at Bayside, but then I kind of grew out of it. I took a demotion and became a lead pastor. And uh, back before, I was kind of like the cool older brother, but now like I'm old enough to be their dad. And so I was like a ball of anxiety because I was like, I have nothing, I don't relate. I, I, I was like, I go to bed at eight. I wake up at 3.45, like what, what youth is gonna be like? Oh, blah, 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 blah. And so I was like a ball of anxiety. So I did what any of you would do. I went to ShopRite and I bought $90 worth of ice cream uh, because no one ever hated the guy that brought ice cream. Uh, and so I got a whole slew of ice cream and uh, it, was, it was great, it was awesome. One of the games that we played uh, when we kind of gathered together to go through like the starting point stuff is uh, I, I had a, a youth leader, uh, Brandon, and, uh, and then I had a, a, a student, Jameer, and I was like, hey, I'm gonna challenge you guys, the first one to eat a Choco Taco uh, will get a $10 gift card uh, to Starbucks. It was a great, great game. But I was like, here's the catch. Here's the, here's the, here's the kicker. Uh, we're gonna, I went, to, I went to Taco Bell, we went to Taco Bell, and uh, grabbed a whole bunch of hot sauce, their hottest hot sauce. And because uh, Choco Taco, Taco Bell, it all goes together. And uh, so we diced the, uh, the Choco Taco in hot sauce. And we said, okay, the first one to finish the Choco Taco wins the $10 gift card. Now, I didn't know this, but Brandon has this like awesome, like superpower that he can eat a whole Choco Taco in two bites. Uh, so it was like chomp, swallow, chomp, swallow, and he was done. And like the game lasted all of like 13 seconds and Jameer was just sitting there eating it like, 
I'm just going to enjoy this Choco Taco. <laughs> and, uh, and so like, I was like, oh, okay, great. But uh, we would do something like that. If I did that up on the stage, some of us might get like offended. Like, if I brought you up on stage and kind of like, you know, made you eat a Choco Taco with hot sauce, you might get offended. You might never come back. But with the youth, like, I earn brownie points. Like, we become like, hey, I'm your man. Like, Jimmy and I are, we're close because I made him eat a Choco Taco. Like, stuff like that. And, uh, and so, like, those types of things, the joy of being a youth, doing silly things like that, actually kind of helps build a relationship. But then we become an adult, and we get, like, super religious or, like, super mature. And what we used to find as, like, a great thing, we become offended by. What used to be awesome, like, we might actually even sue over. But what I also found is that the youth, as I'm thinking about this, the youth, they don't need me to be cool. They need me to be trustworthy. They need us to be trustworthy. Remember back to when you were a youth? What was really meaningful to you? Wasn't it that one trustworthy adult, the coach, the mentor, the parent, somebody in church, the teacher, that was proved to be very trustworthy when you needed a trustworthy figure in your life to help guide you forward? We forget about that, don't we? Today, what I want us to see through, through these pages is I want us to remember back what it's like to be a young person, what, it, what it's like to have a trustworthy figure in our life, not, not somebody that's in our life and guiding us towards destruction, but a truly trustworthy figure in our lives, guiding us towards better. I want us to see the untamed, relentless love of Christ, like a teenager who is down and out needing to be loved needing to be cared for, needing to be reminded of the wild love of Jesus. I want us to reach in and embrace the inner child, not to be childish, but to be childlike, remembering the beauty of who Christ is. And so we're going to turn to the book that we've all studied so in-depthly, the book of Zephaniah. You remember, it's in the Bible. Yes, that is actually in the Bible, Zephaniah. It's like all three chapters. But it is, in, it is. So you guys can turn in your Bibles, uh, or you can see it on the screen, or it's also in our app. You guys can download our app and view it there. Uh, so Zephaniah chapter 3. But let me set a little bit of context, because I know, like me, like I haven't studied the, the whole book super well uh, before like a sermon like this. Uh, so let me set up a little bit of the context. It's all about judgment. It's all about Zephaniah, a prophet, speaking to the nation of Israel, saying, you're wandering, you're going. God is saying, don't wander, don't wander. He's going to bring judgment. This is not going to turn out for you. The first two chapters are all about like, hey, your wandering is bad for the Christian. Your wandering is bad for the non-Christian. Your wandering is bad. It gets to the point where in chapter 3, verse 5, it says, the unrighteous know no shame. It's their, their wandering has gotten to the point where they know what's wrong. They just don't see what's wrong with it. They know what's wrong. They just don't see what's the big deal. And so God is, gets to the point where he says, enough, enough. Judgment's coming. And now he's speaking, knowing that our wandering brings judgment. Now we're going to pick it up where he doesn't leave us in judgment. Because that's not truly my God. My God brings hope. And he speaks to a, to, to a remnant, a group of people that will be exiled, will face judgment, but will, in the midst of that will turn and trust God. And we pick it up there. Here's what it says uh, in the book, uh, in chapter 3. For at that time, I will change their speech, the speech of the peoples, to a pure speech, that all of them may call on the name of the Lord, turning to God, calling on him, and serve him with one accord from beyond the rivers of Kush, my worshipers, the daughters of the dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. So they're going to stop wandering. 
They're going to turn and call on the name of the Lord. To do that, this is going to mean that what used to be indicative of wandering is no longer going to be indicative of them. Where they lacked trust for God, now they're going to turn and fully trust them. Where they called on the names of false gods, idols, they're going to call on his name. Where they trusted in themselves, they're going to trust in the name of, of God. Where they were living for themselves, now they're going to live for God. So the big thought for us here online, wherever you're watching from, is this. To trust him is to turn to him. That's not earth shattering, I know. To trust him is to turn to him. Is that not at the heart of what we do as Christians? We were wandering and we said, wandering no more. I'm turning from my ways. I'm trusting in the one who's done what I cannot do. I.e., he was perfect. And so when we turn from our wandering ways and turn to him with our trust, here's the promise that I think is, is made in Zephaniah. We will experience this beautiful relationship. The first thing that we're going to experience is building off of this theme. We will experience changed life. To trust him is to turn to him. You'll experience a changed life. On that day, you shall, you shall not be put to shame because of the deeds by which you have rebelled against me. For, that, for I will remove from your midst your proudly exultant ones. And, and you shall no longer be haughty in, in my holy mountain. But I will leave in your midst a people humble different than they were before, lowly, that's different than before. They will seek refuge in the name of the Lord, those who are left in Israel. They shall do no injustice. They shall speak no lies, different than before. Nor shall there be found in their mouth any deceitful tongue, for their gaze lie and lie down. For there shall be their gaze and graze and lie down. None shall make them afraid. This is so meaningful that God would reach in and do something like this. Think about this. This is the God who is the offended party. This is the one who said, you know what? I have to be a just God. So there is a wrath over your life for, for the sins that you have committed, the wrong that you have done. So for me to still be just and to reach in means that I send my son to live perfectly and I kill him on your behalf so that the wrath meant for your sin is satisfied, but it's satisfied in the person of Jesus. Now, the rebelled against comes to our defense. He is the one fighting for us. He is the one moving us. And it's this humble party, this humble group that turns to Jesus and says, I am yours. I'm going to reject the past where I trusted myself. I'm going to reject my, my, my pride. And in the midst of this, he, he talks about like, like this peace. If you, can, if you read the passage again, you can see how peace is kind of intertwined throughout this passage. I, I, I've got you. And I think many of us, like as a Christian, we face chaos, don't we? Even as Christians, there is chaos in life. And it's, oftentimes, it's not our own doing. But there is a lot of the chaos that happens in life that is our doing, that is removed by Stop wandering. I don't live in fear that the cops are going to come and break down my door and find crack in my house because there's no crack in my house. I don't drive my car, and when I get pulled over, hopeful that they don't search my car to find what is in my car because there's nothing there to find. When we turn from our wandering ways, one of the ways in which Jesus brings peace to our lives is simply by setting us on the straight and narrow removing ourselves from sin, leaving our life of sin, does that not 
remove some of the chaos? Wouldn't that remove some of the chaos in your marriages? Wouldn't that remove some of the chaos at work? Wouldn't that remove some of the chaos of driving around? Wouldn't that remove some of the chaos at school? If we simply left our life of sin, we would find peace provided to us by God because there is a better way. It's a changed life that God brings us through relationship. You'll see this in their honesty. You'll see this as, as they're distinguished as God's. You'll see this in their goodness. You'll see they, la- they live a life where God is trustworthy. Like I, I mentioned uh, last week, we've, uh, we've suffered, I suffered a family loss. My, my one-year-old niece uh, passed away a, a few, uh, about a month ago. And uh, so we went right down to Virginia to be with my, my youngest brother. We're about seven years or so apart. And during that experience, uh, one, of the, one of the kind of moments of peace, if you will, was uh, people from their church provided just tons and tons of food. And, uh, and so uh, in the evening, we were able to sit around the table, two families, uh, uh, Lindsay's family and, jo- and, and my family, sit around the table. And I don't know if my brother and I necessarily planned it, but we, we kind of maybe think alike and, and like, okay, we couldn't really tell jokes throughout the day because it's not meant for that. The days were stressful. Uh, but at that table around, kind of just like <sighs> finally sitting down, it kind of felt like that moment to kind of just try to find gentle laughter throughout the day. And so my brother and I did what was, uh, we're accustomed to doing. We're like, you know, I'm 37. I think he's like 36 or something. And so it was like, you know, like while we're in this setting, my mom can't get mad at us. So let's just tell stories about being degenerate kids. And, uh, and so we did that. We talked about high school and college. None, none of my brother Justin's stories. So we just kind of like told some old stories that were only kind of like ha-ha because they were in the past and not a current reality. <laughs> and, uh, and it got to the point where my mom's like, like, and it was like, oh, but hey, look, we turned out okay. Like, everything's good. And, uh, and so, like, we kind of just kind of had some laughter, you know, mildly of sorts, just to kind of lighten the mood and go down some, some old memories. And at some point, I probably would have said of my youngest brother, Justin, again, we're kind of like a seven-year gap. I probably at some point in high school would have said, like, he's just an ungrateful brat. Or he's just an ungrateful child. He's an ungrateful brother. I probably would have said something like that. And I could tell stories about him and, like, the wildness of his life at times. But then, with that reminder throughout the week, I saw my baby brother stand up in front of a group of people. I saw him worship his Jesus in the midst of life. I saw him stand up, and he gave me permission to read a a paragraph of what he said to a crowd of people at his one-year-old daughter's funeral. He wrote, he said this, he spoke these words. He said, these are the memories we'll cherish after talking about some memories with Charlotte. We are so proud of you, Charlotte. You taught a deep love You taught a deeper love than we've ever experienced and a true meaning of joy. It's during these times we choose to look at the past months with pure joy. In the depths of darkness, we can be anchored by the hope and gratefulness that we have. Hope that that we anxiously look forward to seeing you again in heaven and grateful that we got a chance to know your beautiful soul. We have so much to be thankful for. And he concludes his, uh, his talk by sharing everything he's thankful for. I can tell stories, but I can also now tell a story of life change that my brother has experienced. And I admire him, what God has done in his life. As he is proof that there is hope for people, as I am proof that there is hope for people, as my other brother is proof that there is hope for people, guess what? There is hope for you. You may have walked in here saying, there is no hope for me, but you know what? My Jesus is hope. 
And if my Jesus is present in your life, there is hope for you because Jesus is for you. Where you might say, I can never change. Guess what? Jesus didn't leave this earth and say, good luck, figure it out. He left this earth and left us with the Holy Spirit to guide us forward and change us from the inside out. The untamed love of Jesus doesn't see you as hopeless. The untamed love of Jesus wants you and offers himself for you. There is a better you, and that better you is linked inexplicably with Jesus. Turn to Jesus. You're turning in trust. You're going to experience a changed life. To trust him is to turn to him. You'll experience a changed life. Secondly, you'll experience a merciful relationship. Sing! Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. They're gone. The king of Israel, the Lord, the king is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day, it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. Punishment is gone. It's taken away. There was wrath meant for you, wrath meant for me. But the king is among us. He has taken away. He has has satisfied the wrath. And guess what? The offended party did not say, Simply, I forgive you. The offended party says, I want to purchase you with my blood to bring you into the family. How many offended people, do you, uh, people that offend you, how many times do you hang out with them? Are they, are they on the reg? Are you always hanging out with people that you're offended by? My king, my Jesus says, I will be among you. The, the, my sin has death over it, a punishment, and my sin also has a stink. Where all poop stinks, all sin stinks. And there is a stink to my sin where we deserve shame. My God says, no, I will pay the price for all of your sin and I will no longer be offended by you to the point where I will embrace you. I will be among you. I am yours. You are mine. There is an embrace. The king is among us. There is a relationship with God when we turn to him. Heaven is not the end goal of the gospel. We don't share the gospel just to get you into heaven. No, we share with you the beauty of what Jesus has done for sinful humanity for this one reason, the gift of God. You get God. You get him for all of eternity and a byproduct, a benefit of a relationship with God is heaven. And so in your Dig the Well Guide, which we'll talk about at the end, you're going to see a book that we're recommending for you throughout this series. God is the gospel by John Piper. It's a reminder that at the heart of the gospel, it is God. And heaven is a byproduct. On the screen is a picture of Ava and her dad. Ava didn't know her dad for some 30-some-odd years. She has a very vague memory from when she was three or four, uh, but because she was three or four, it was vague. (laughs) And, uh, And then her dad wasn't in the picture, and so... Uh, Ava, being Ava, uh, one day decided to Google the crap out of her dad and, uh, and found that he owns a painting company in Missouri and said, I'm going to call him up. And, uh, and so she did. She called him up, and here's a 60-year-old man that got a phone call that said, hi, I'm your daughter. Uh, and then Ava hung up. And, uh, she, uh, and so he, uh, Ava just hung up. Uh, So a few minutes later, Ava kind of gathered herself, because, I mean, obviously it's an emotional thing, gathers herself and calls him back, and they ended up talking. And then that led to more conversations. That led to 
emails that led to letters that led to a to a restored relationship or a restoring relationship to the point where maybe three years later Ava and I get in a car and we travel to Missouri and this is a picture of Ava hugging her dad for the first time it's not only do I forgive you it's I forgive you and I embrace you when we turn to Jesus when we trust him and turn to him we, we get this, this beautiful relationship, a merciful relationship where God says, I no longer find you offensive, but I'm hugging you. I'm embracing you. I forgive you. I want you. The untamed love of the Father wants you in relationship, desires you. It's more than just, I'm okay being in the same room with you. It's an actual embrace. So what have we said thus far? We've said to trust him is to turn to him. We experience life change. We're going to experience a merciful relationship. And then thirdly, we're going to experience personal love. This, this is the verse that just wrecks me every time I read it. I understand my old ways. I understand my own wandering. I understand it all. And here is this verse. The Lord your God is in your midst. The mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud, not just loud singing. My God is a warrior. My God is a mighty warrior. My God does not lose. He wants you. And when you turn to him, when you accept that gift that is his son, he rejoices over you. He sings over you. He's delighting. He's glad? Let me say this. God is glad you exist. Think about that. God is glad you exist. You walked in here feeling abandoned. You walked in here feeling judged. You walked in here feeling shame. You walked in here feeling so many ways, so many ways that do not line up with a God that sees you and is glad that you exist. Glad that if you have turned to him in faith, in trust, he is glad to call you his own. And it silences us. What a gift. He sings, he rejoices like a dad who sings and rejoices when a prodigal son returns home. So he quiets us and then he sings over us and it turns in us, it turns us to the party, doesn't it? The one time, I've been silenced a few times with, with some gifts. One time I was, I, I remember distinctly being silenced, not knowing what to say, uh, was, uh, I'm from New England, so I grew up a Red Sox fan, don't judge me, this is judgment-free, okay? Uh, and, uh, and so I, I grew up in New Hampshire. And uh, the Red Sox made the World Series uh, a few years ago, and my kids were old enough, my boys were old enough to remember, and I was like, it's on my bucket list. I want to take them to see a Red Sox World Series. I need to do this because it's the Red Sox. They may never make it again. It might be 3,000 years before they make the World Series again, so I, I better take advantage of this opportunity. And so I tried selling on Facebook Marketplace everything in my house but family members. I tried selling it all. No one bought my crap. Uh, I'm not worth that much. And, uh, and so uh, and nothing worked. And so I was kind of like, I felt almost like I was being punished that I couldn't make, it, make this opportunity happen for my kids. And I, I came to church, and uh, at the end of church, somebody was like, hey, can you come to the back room? And I was like, well, that's how people get murdered, but sure, I'll just <laughs> randomly go to the back room with you. And, uh, and so uh, I go to the back room, and there's a whole group of people, and they hand me an envelope. And they said, we've collected some money a whole bunch of Yankee fans, uh, we want to send you to the Red Sox game with your, with your boys. And I was just silenced. I was just like, what? Like, A, you hate this team, but then B, like, you love me enough? 
and it just overwhelmed me. It silenced me. But then I had the, op like, the option, like, I, I, I need to take the gift, and I need to do something with it. Do I go to the game? Do I enter into the game? And so this is a picture of uh, my dad and my two sons uh, on our way to the Red Sox. And uh, I, can, I just have a distinct memory with Landon, who was sitting next to me, and uh, chanting, Kershaw, 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 because we were playing the Dodgers. And uh, he, got, he got pummeled and got taken out of the game. And then in Red Sox fashion, we all cheered when he got taken out of the game. And we were all jerks, and we loved every moment of it. And my son was a part of that, and it was great. <laughs> when was the last time that you were silenced by God's love? When was the last time you, you sat and you thought about the untamed, wild nature of God's love, and you were silenced by it? The untamed love of Jesus, that while we were sinners, while we were wandering, while we were doing childish things, God reaches in and says, I offer you my son. And if you turn, if you say yes to Jesus, I'll sing over your existence. I'll be glad for you to come home. I'll be thankful. I'll rejoice that my son who was wandering has returned. The fourth and last thing that we see in this passage is to trust him, is to turn to him, experience changed life, a merciful relationship, personal love, but then corporate love. This is, a, this is all of us. He says this, I will gather those who, who mourn for the festival so that they will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at that time, I will deal with your impressors. I will save the lame and gather the outcasts. I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, I when I gather you together, for I will, will make you renowned and praised among all the peoples of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes. This is the most intimate part of the whole book, a whole book on, on judgment. And he, now he's speaking to a remnant that, is, that will turn through this and trust him and humbly accept it. Now it becomes personal. Now do you see that word that I emphasize throughout that? I, I, I. It's the Lord that is speaking. It is the Lord God Almighty making these seven promises Sorrows and shame I will remove. I will deal with all who oppress you. I will rescue. I will give them praise and honor. I will gather you. I will bring you home. I will restore your fortunes. I, the Lord, speak. And I want you. I want all of you. I want the community of people that have turned in humility towards me. And I'm going to gather them together. And we are going to party. We are going to be those that have all, we have all wandered. And we have those that have said yes to Jesus. Every single one of us who think that we were right in our own eyes or think that they were wrong and they, and blah, 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 all of these opinions. Christ died for those opinions. And he dresses us in righteousness. And together, you and me in pure righteousness will stand before our maker. I don't know exactly what heaven is going to be like, but I think it's going to be a little bit like Taylor University and their, their silent night. I was a part of this. Check this video out.
call that Christian school. Uh, and so I, I went there, and it's this awesome night. It's the last game, uh, home game before Christmas break. No one in the stands speaks. No one says anything until the home team scores their 10th point. Once the home team scores their 10th point, there is utter mayhem. Everybody dresses up like fools. And when they score that 10th point, they take a timeout and we crowd the court. It goes utter berserks. And then at the end of the game, we all wink arms and we do what Christians do. We sing Silent Night, Holy Night. That's what we do. I don't know exactly what heaven's going to be like, but I bet it's more like that than it's not. I bet it's more like that when we have been silenced by the love of God together and we face him and we see him together and then we go wild. We cheer, we praise for all of eternity that God invites you to a heavenly party. He wants you there. Oh, what a party that will be when all of those who have experienced the untamed love of Jesus see him face to face. What an untamed party that will be. Later on, Jesus, here in this passage in Zephaniah, he talked a lot about Jerusalem. Later on, Jesus says a very similar thing. Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and the stones, those who were sent. How often I would have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her broad under her wings. And you were not willing. You had a gift that could silence you. You had the envelope with cash in your hands. But will you go to the game? Will you take it? Will you go with those who are looking to be gathered together by God Almighty to join the heavenly party where we sing praises to our heavenly king? Oh, what a celebration that will be. Will you be there? Or are you still wandering? Does God want to gather you, but you're not willing? So I want to pause and I want to pray. You can turn to him and trust right now. And you can experience life change, a merciful relationship. You can experience personal love. You can experience a corporate love of a, of a group of people turning to Jesus. But it starts by turning to him. Saying, I'm done wandering and I want you. I thank you for dying for my sin and satisfying your wrath in the person of Jesus. And so I'm going to pause and we're going to pray right now in this moment. God, Lord, I thank you for those that are watching online. Lord, I thank you for those that are in this room. And God, they are not here by accident. God, they have not heard this message by accident. God, your Holy Spirit is moving. God, your Holy Spirit desires every man, woman, and child watching or here. I pray that you have broken through and there is a willingness right now to turn everything over to you. If that is you, simply pray something along these lines. God, I am sorry for my wandering. God, I am sorry for my sin. God, I am sorry that I have done things that deserve your wrath. I trust that you satisfied your wrath in the person of Jesus. It's proof that you love me and that you want me. Today, I want to stop wandering and I want to embrace you. Thank you for you. Thank you for wanting me, and I get you. In your name, Jesus, amen. If you prayed that, please talk to us. You can see an aisle host. You can go to the app right now. You can fill out a form that's a, uh, it's called I Said Yes. If you're online, the, the form is linked below. We want to talk to you about what it's like to be on this journey. In the book, uh, Changes That Heal by Henry Cloud, 
uh, he mentions the situation of a lady that came in for counseling. And uh, I don't remember her name, but we'll call her Maria. Maria comes into counseling, and she has this issue. She's a very successful businesswoman. Uh, she leads a bunch of teams. And, but when, when she has deadlines and when she's super stressed out, she starts hitting on all the men. Uh, and, it's, and it's to the point where she might lose her job because of what she's doing when she's super stressed out and how she handles the men on her team. So she goes in for counseling, and, uh, and they, they talk for a while. And what, what, what they find out was when, when, when Maria was 12, uh, her mom died. And she had to grow up real fast and be the woman of the house. And, uh, and so when she's stressed out, she goes back to her teenage ways, ways that were underdeveloped, ways that were never taught to her. And now when life later on, when she's stressed out, she goes back to some of these areas that were underdeveloped in her life. You and I have wandered away from Jesus. We have lives that wandered away. I have an old life that wandered away from Jesus. And you know what? When I'm stressed, sometimes they can creep back in. Sometimes when stressed out, sometimes when life is hitting the fan, sometimes when I get in my own way, my, my habits from wandering creep back in. Stop wandering. Stop it. God has died for us to stop wandering. God has made a way that all those bad habits, Jesus wants to say, I died for those, and now I want to build you up in Jesus. Through wandering, what was underdeveloped areas, what are they? What is creeping back into your life? What, what when, when you are stressed out, is, is coming to the surface. Through relationship, we work on those areas and we become more like Jesus. Jesus is yours. Jesus is mine. Jesus is ours. Now those underdeveloped areas, are we giving them over to him because he loves us and he wants us make, to make us into the image of his son? And so my challenge for us as we close out this experience is, is this. We talk about engaging with God, one of our values. Every single day, we want to engage with our relationship with God. It matters today. It matters tomorrow. It matters every single day. So my challenge is that you would engage with God through SOAP this week. SOAP is a way to study God's word and to be conflicted by God's word and then to move forward in relationship. If you don't know what SOAP is, that's okay because we haven't talked about it before. You shouldn't know what it is. So we made a video for you. Check out this video. Hey, Wellspring, I just want to take a few moments to unpack for you a, a really powerful tool for you to help study the Word of God. Num one of the number one things that I get either after service or at a life group setting or, or online is, is Graham. I, I, I'm growing in my faith. I'm excited. But, but when I open up God's Word, it's just confusing to me. I, I don't know where to begin. I don't know how to study it. So SOAP is a phenomenal tool for you uh, and, a, and a kind of a format for you to study the Word of God. So here's what SOAP stands for. Scripture, observation, application, and prayer. So here's what you do. When you want to sit down in the morning and, and kind of start your devos, you can unpack the scripture using SOAP. So number one, scripture. What you're going to do is you're going to pick the scripture that you want to tackle for that particular day. The recommended is like three to like one to three verses for you to hyper focus on. So what you're going to do is you're going to sit down and you're going to write out those three verses. You're going to simply write them out because when you write something, it sticks in your mind and we, we want to memorize God's word. So we're going to sit down and we're going to write down those three verses. Then we move on to observations. And what we want to do is we want to look at that scripture and read it carefully and say, 
what am I observing in this passage? What, what is this passage of scripture trying to teach me? So we might look at things and be like, man, this passage seems to be talking an awful lot about the love of God. So I'm gonna write about the love of God in this observation. Um, I'm gonna write about who, who, what characters are is in this passage? What, what is God trying to teach? And where, where's the setting happening? And what are some of the high points of the passage and low points of a passage? And we're gonna write down about 15 observations of this passage to really dive in and to understand what's going on. Then next, application. We're gonna take some time. Okay, now that I've, I've written down the scripture, now that I've taken some time to understand and observe what this passage is trying to say, well, how do I apply it to my life? Well, well I see that this passage is talking an awful lot, a awful lot about the love of God. And I know in my own life, man, I, sometimes I feel like I lack the love of God or maybe I'm, I'm chasing the wrong kinds of love. And I need to be reminded this week that I need to, to, to understand and experience the love of God that we have in Jesus. Okay, so I'm gonna write that as an application. This week, I wanna remind myself about the love of God. That is the action step, that's the application of the passage. And then lastly, we want to pray. Right, we wanna invite the Holy Spirit into the process, say, okay, Lord, thank you so much for this passage. Thank you for teaching me these observations. And God, I want to experience your love this week. I wanna be reminded of your love. So I'm gonna take some time to pray this passage over my life and allow the Holy Spirit to speak this passage in my heart. This is an amazing, simple tool for you to unpack the word of God. So we have soap, um, guides on our website that you can go to and download, or you can just do this on your own. Use a devotional, write down S-O-A-P, and simply unpack and walk through this SOAP guide for you to help uh, understand and experience the Word of God in a way that you never have before. So that's so super simple. It takes about 10 to 15 minutes every single morning. And man, I know that if you take this, if you do soap this week, man, God is going to do some amazing things in your life as you unpack the Word of God and then allow the Holy Spirit to speak through the Word of God into your life. So that's soap.